0: Yes, I pretty much from probably my early 20s was involved in the new age, involved in Scientology. So I had a bunch of that kind of mentality. That was all I had reference for. I didn't really understand anything. I just really thought Christians were wimps and they like needed a crutch and I didn't. And so I I was pretty much like my dad, I was a God hater.
1: The life story of Athena Dean Holtz is a tale of a search for affirmation, meaning, and significance that trapped her in a spiritual deception and caused her to lose everything she had. Fiction? No. Absolutely true. It is also a story of restoration and a love of lost and found. In this two-part episode, we are going to follow Athena on a journey from God-hating Scientology, a Christian awakening, vulnerable spots of deception, a 13-year walk in a toxic and restrictive cult, and then the amazing turnaround of God's redeeming love. Let's go ahead and follow along. Again, this is a two-part episode, so tomorrow we will have part two of this amazing journey. Hey girl, I know you are overwhelmed at the thought of being a Christian. There are so many damaging lessons you need to unlearn and you feel like you were starting over from scratch. Heck, you were even taught not to believe the Bible, so where do you turn for truth? Hi, I'm Shelby Hosfield. I too was a girl who left the LDS church. I too felt like I had abandoned everything I had ever known about God. I spent 20 years lost after leaving, wishing someone would just give me the blueprints on faith. How was I supposed to raise my kids with God when I didn't even know how to pray? Can you relate? But as hard as this is, I know you are not ready to give up on Jesus. God opened me up to a real relationship with Him through His Word. The Bible is not only trustworthy, friends, but it is living water to our souls. I don't want it to take you 20 years. Here, you will learn how to pray, you will find truth, and you will finally gain trust in the Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is Finding Faith Above. Hi, Athena. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Shelby. Nice to meet you. I am so glad to have you on here today. I had read this cute little Facebook post that you had posted in a women's Christian group. And it just spoke to me so strongly. And it was such a small little post, but such a big story. And I was like, I have to talk to this woman. This sounds like someone I really need to get to know. So thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Little did I know that when I read that little story, just what an amazingly Big person you are with everything you are doing for God. And starting from publishing, you're an author, you're a speaker, you do all sorts of amazing things. First off, just tell us who Athena
0: is. Gosh, I am a publisher, podcaster, uh, YouTube content creator, author. I've written four books, do a lot of speaking, do a lot of teaching. And I pioneered the independent publishing movement in the Christian market back in the early nineties. So I've been in publishing 35 years and I'm also now a pastor's wife and a bookstore owner and, um, a, a, and most notably a spiritual abuse survivor. And I
1: can't wait to unpack that story because that just, it sounds, so incredibly fascinating and something that's going to be so enriching for our listeners and everybody here today, just because a lot of us have been through things like that too. So nobody's faith journey is ever straightforward. Everyone has things, we have bumps in the road and you actually had said in something that you had sent me, you had been through a toxic and restrictive cult, no small words that's a pretty big thing to say. Uh, So I'd like to bring this back first, though, to the beginning. How did you grow up?
0: I started out with absolutely no Christianity at all. No Awana, no VPS, no nothing. I never heard the gospel till I was 30. My grandmother was a kind of celebrity in the unity church, which is pretty new age. And so Pretty much my dad's whole side of the family was, they were all, except for my dad and his brother, all the other siblings and his mom were ministers for unity, which is the Course in Miracles and just very new age, new thought, um, not Christian at all. And my dad pretty much was a self-made, very successful God-hater, so I pretty much took after him and had a pretty dysfunctional family of origin. My mom wanted me to be like my brother, who was the perfect child. And I was this very strong-willed little spitfire that gave her no peace at all. And so there was a rejection from her, which pushed me to want to be more like my dad, who lived a double life and all sorts of he was not a healthy role model for me but he was the one who nurtured me more than my mom and i went through sexual abuse as a 5 year old so that happened which of course i didn't even really remember until i was in my 40s i became a complete wild child just Did not at all conform to any sort of the whole sexual abuse thing turned into promiscuity. And I ended up getting pregnant when I was 19. And my dad made sure that that was taken care of, which I didn't even really understand what I was doing. But he just said this is what's going to happen. And I went along with it. And then ended in a, my first marriage was physically abusive, lots of domestic violence. He actually broke my arm while I was nursing my six month old. Four years in that happened and I just said, I'm done with this. But it was such a shock to me to even be in a situation with someone that did that, that it was okay to hit women i'd never that was like i'd never been around that i just had a whole life up to 30 where i was just my backstory was just littered with trauma and pain and my way to handle that was to dive into work and make success and work my medication of choice which worked for a while (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't very healthy, but it definitely (laughs) kept it stuffed away.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely what the world really promotes a lot is if you can't do it, this strength is within you to get over these things and to move forward with things. And it's all up to you. And so you have to keep working. You have to do all the things to somehow prove this, this okayness about yourself when We all know now coming to Christ that we have that hole inside us that it can only be filled by him. And, and that takes a long time sometimes for us to be able to figure out. So when did that happen for you? Cause I know you went back and forth with a few different things. So was there a turnaround point at that point?
0: Yes. I pretty much from probably my early twenties was involved in the new age, involved in Scientology. So I had a bunch of that kind of mentality. That was all I had reference for. I didn't really understand anything. I just really thought Christians were wimps and they like needed a crutch and I didn't. And so I I was pretty much like my dad, I was a God hater. And when I was 33, early that year, I remember someone asking me, are you a Christian? And I thought, well, I'm not Jewish and I live in America. So yeah, I'm a Christian. Like that was, I'd never heard what it even meant to be a Christian. So that was my, that was where I was at. And having come out of Scientology, I, um, that is a culture where everyone smokes a lot of cigarettes, drinks a lot of coffee, drinks a lot of alcohol and cusses up a store. I dropped the F-bomb probably every sentence had it in there somewhere. And when you're around it and everyone talks that way, you don't think anything, it just becomes a way of life. You don't think anything about it. And I was working with a group of people in the insurance and securities industry and had quickly climbed my way up to being one of the first senior vice presidents that was a female because it was a very male-dominated industry and they were all Christians. So they're all around me talking about how Jesus helped them do this and that. And I would just like, eye roll, whatever, let's get over this. Looking back, I think about how they must've been cringing on the inside. I remember one guy said, I listened to you make a presentation. wasn't PowerPoint back then, it was just slides. And he said, in an hour, you took God's name in vain at least 53 times that kind of Mm -hmm. um, talking that it was like second nature to me. It just didn't, I didn't even recognize it. And so that was the beginning of me beginning to recognize something and in the spirit of God, beginning to draw me. And I'm sure all these people that I worked around (laughs) were like, praying up a storm, like, Lord, get a hold of her. Cause I was super rough around the edges. <laughs> and I was pretty much in the middle of a divorce. My husband at the time was into the kind of Freeman movement where you don't have to have a license to do anything. You don't, you don't ever want to use money, money, you have to have gold or silver. And it was this whole kind of John Birch society thing. And because he was involved in that, it ended up threatening my work in the security industry. And so I, we had a big blow up and I just said, okay, we're done. And I went away for the weekend and he ended up talking to one of his managers And actually just he was just in tears over the the implosion of our marriage. And he ended up saying the sinner's prayer on a lark. Okay, I've never tried that. Sure. And I came home that weekend after that weekend that I was gone. And it was like, who are you and what did you do with Chuck? Because he was a different person. And so I ended up a couple days later. He just came back to me and just said, can you please reconsider? Can we try this again? And I heard myself say, okay, we can try again. And I I looked behind me and said, who said that? Because I had absolutely, my mind was set. We were done. It was over. And then I realized, okay, we're going to try this again, but you're one of them. And that means... I am going to have to do that, which I didn't even know what that was. I just knew that I didn't like it. And uh, so I called my manager and he sent me C.S. Lewis's book on mere Christianity. I don't even remember what it said. That was 35 years ago. I don't even remember what it said. I just remember halfway through, I was bawling and going, Oh my, I need a savior. It was my first realization that just because I made a hundred grand a year and I was successful on the outside, didn't mean anything. And so I called him up and said, okay, uh, what do I do next? Do I have to say a prayer or something like that? And he prayed with me and immediately, every Curse word that was part of my being, that was who I was, completely gone, completely like Holy Spirit mouthwash, boom, and never to return. It was miraculous. And yeah, so that was in 1986. Wow. And that was a huge turning point. I was like, appalled. I hated Christians. And now, I was
1: one. <laughs> That's so awesome, though. I so you're not the first person who's been on this podcast with me to say that about the curse words and the movie. It's like, for whatever reason, all of these things that consume us before. It's not like it's because it's a, a rule or a law you're not supposed to cuss or you're not supposed to whatever it is. It's just that this transformation happens within our soul that isn't. Undescribable. You can't even put it into words, but it changes everything. So what else changed after that? How did your life unfold? Did you guys end up going to church?
0: what did you guys end up doing? We did end up going to church. We also ended up getting recruited into ministry, full-time ministry, very quickly working with Vietnam veterans and their family members, which if I could just say, if you're a brand new Christian, you should not be in full-time ministry. That's not a good That's not a good choice because you need to get your foundation Mm -hmm. built below you and learning about scripture and scripture in context and all of those things. I didn't do any of that. In fact, as we started out, I realized maybe six months later that I pretty much just said, okay, I'm going to say this prayer, but I'm not giving up anything. And I'm going to keep making six figures. And I'm going to keep going down this path that I thought was what I wanted. It was kind of like, my kingdom come, my will be done. Thank you very much. (laughs) And um, we had a guy who came in and did some teaching at our board meeting for Point Man Ministries, which was the ministry that we started. And he taught us the concept of praying, Lord, show me my heart as you see it. Because we see the heart is deceitfully wicked. Of course, we're going to see all the good stuff. We're not going to see the bad stuff. We're going to be blind to the bad stuff. And so Lord, show me my heart as you see it. And oh my goodness, that was that all of a sudden I started seeing how shallow I was and how I really hadn't surrendered. I, yes, I called him my Lord, but he was not my master. And so that was a huge turning point for me to see that my money, my work, my success was a total, it was just total idolatry and I needed to repent. So I always get a little emotional when I think about that because I really, I didn't deserve to be saved. And I, even after six months into it thinking, You know, I can just do my own thing and not have to really give everything to God. That's not the way it works. He wants to sanctify us. And so that was huge to come to that realization. But then as I jumped into full-time ministry with my husband and began to teach Vietnam veterans and their family members about PTSD it wasn't even a word back then, PTSD and triggers and adrenaline and how all of a sudden we started seeing, wait a second, Vietnam veterans didn't have a corner on the market for PTSD. It was anyone who went through trauma or significant wounding is going to have those same symptoms. And I saw that post-abortion syndrome lists all the same symptoms as PTSD from combat. So it was like this heavy revving. Whoa. Okay. That means those of us who are married to these guys, we have our own PTSD from all the trauma we've gone through. This is why you don't just jump into full-time ministry. I needed some healing that Mm -hmm. I avoided because I really didn't want to go there, but nobody really made sure that I took those steps because I, I just jumped into to the ministry. And that was, again, my drug of choice. That was what kept the pain down because it was an amazing crusade that we were on and veterans were getting saved right and left. And it was just amazing. But um, realizing that we were going to church, we were getting discipled, we were doing all those things, but I didn't really have an intimate relationship. I didn't spend quality time with him. I'm I'm a type A. I was a workaholic and I just traded one addiction for another. And I went from work to ministry. And so one of the biggest things that I believe was a turning point for me falling into deception, even after I got saved, is... As we were unpacking as a leadership team, the Vietnam veteran wives and I, we were all sitting around and we were like, okay, let's get a grasp on this. PTSD was a mental and physical thing. It made sense when you've gone through a trauma to have those symptoms. That's a normal response to an abnormal situation that you experienced. And so we started saying, Lord, give us some spiritual, uh, where's the spiritual aspect to this whole thing that we're seeing here with these veterans? And the scripture that we were looking at was he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I think it's Psalm 147. And we looked at that and went and took the word wounds and translated it down to the Hebrew. And this was like, if you've ever had the Bible kind of start to glow and things jump off the page at you, like this is, you better not ignore this. As I looked that up, the Hebrew word for wound, because here, let me just add one more thing. I kept feeling like those of us with Wounding and veterans that are wounded, that hasn't, haven't been healed. Those wounds are what's controlling us because we would see these veterans hear firecrackers that sounded like incoming artillery during the 4th of July. And they would be on the ground. They were like, it was an automatic response to that sound that was similar to that sound back during their traumatic moments. And so seeing this, okay, our wounding is controlling us, not God, that can't be right. And so here I look up that scripture and I look up the Hebrew word for wound. Okay, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. It said wound. Acts That was the Hebrew word. It is an idol. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, that answers everything. Because here we are. We're sinning. We're in idolatry. Even though we don't realize it. It's not like we're on purpose i'm going to just go out and commit idolatry today i'm not going to listen to you god i'm going to go be an idolater today no none of us realize the consequence of not allowing god in to heal those places Mm -hmm. so here we are with years of undealt with and unhealed wounds that have become idols in our lives and we
1: don't even know. And we all are carrying these in some way. We all have them. And I, I think idolatry is one of those things that it is the thing that takes you away from God so often. So that is so, I didn't know that. That is, That is, I'm going to go look this up too. This is
0: amazing. I know. It was just one of those heavy, revy. I can't believe I'm seeing this. And this is that spiritual aspect to the physical and mental aspect of PTSD. This is what's going on. And this is why we stay in bondage and we can't move forward and emotionally be healthy, which means we can be healthy spiritually. You have to be emotionally healthy before you can be spiritually healthy. And you can't get there if you've got all these wounds that are controlling you. And to see that, And realized, I recognized, and I repented. I said, Lord, forgive me. I know it doesn't, I didn't do it on purpose. But the fact is, that is what it is. It is idolatry, forgive me. And I knew what I needed to do then was begin to let him into those places, get some counseling, do whatever I had to do to get some healing for the sexual abuse, the domestic violence, the abortion, all of that stuff needed healing and what i told all those other women to do i did not do myself so i said oh you gotta repent and then you gotta let god into those areas i did not practice what i preached and i can look back now and see that was the thing that made me vulnerable it was disobedience no question about it but it was the thing that made me vulnerable to deception again.
1: Tell so. us about that because I'm a self-made strong woman myself. My past was from a very works-based religion. And I think that working for you're even for God's approval, but working for everyone's approval was a big part of my life. And I would say that was more on my idol side too, is putting that away. And it's something that I have to remind myself of every day, yeah. but you said it made you vulnerable. So where did that take you?
0: Where that took me was about eight years into publishing business, which kind of came out of the work with Vietnam veterans. Cause we published a book on PTSD that was very successful and we sold 10,000 copies and then it got picked up by Multnomah Press and sold another 40,000. And then, you know, since then it's sold quarter of a million copies. And that experience for us was what actually started me on my career in publishing because people were like, can you help me with my book? I'm like, yeah, I guess I can. And so... Eight years into uh, the company that we founded, which was called Wine Press Publishing, which was the first actual credible self-publishing Christian company that allowed authors to self-publish but still have a publisher. We were eight years in and we published a book for a quote unquote pastor whose wife I met at a Christian writers conference at Wheaton College. She was even helping the director. So she was in a very credible role. And she started to say to me, I think you are the publisher for my husband's book, My Husband's a Pastor. He's written this book on this really difficult scripture, but it's such an important scripture. And most uh, traditional publishers wouldn't want to risk this message. And the message is so cutting edge. And it's so, if you hear my language, you're hearing the grooming that is going on that is appealing to my pride, because it was as we have the corner on the truth and the church at large is on the wide road and we're on the narrow road. And this is something that we believe you're going to be, you're the one who needs to publish this. Uh, because you'll be able to understand how um, important it is. So flattery, appealing to pride, all of that. Ooh, I got to be sidetracked here. We ended up publishing that book for him, and that began a twelve, almost thirteen-year detour into complete deception.
1: Our faith journey is never a straight road. So again, this is part one of a two-part series. The second half of Athena's journey is going to be out first thing tomorrow morning. So mark your calendars, set your alarm, and jump on in to find out what all happens on Athena's amazing journey. I am so honored that you showed up today to listen to this little podcast talking about big things If you want to comment, share, laugh, or cry about what we talked about today, then you need to join the Facebook group where you can have a safe space to do all the sharing because we kind of need people in this big old world that understand. And if you are like, heck yeah, that was awesome. Where can I get more? First, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode and then hurry on over to findingfaithabove.com where you will find so much goodness all created just for you because I really do love you guys. I've been where you are at and I want to help you have all the hope and none of the lost. Resources, art, Bible studies, it's all there just for you. FindingFaithAbove.com. Wishing you all the best in love in Jesus' name. See you next time.